Well, happy almost New Year to everybody. Uh, it's good to be up here with you again. And uh, you got your resolutions figured out yet? You know what you're going to do? I, uh, I gave up on resolutions a long time ago. This is not something I did. No, I'm just kidding. I, I set goals, you know, try to have targets that I reach in each year. Um, but I, as I'm up here, like literally, I, every time I think about New Year's resolutions, um, I think about this episode in the show Friends where Ross decides that <clears throat> his resolution is going to be to do something new for himself that he's never done every single day of the year. And one day, he decides he's going to wear leather pants. And some of you obviously know this episode. He wears leather pants, goes on a date, is uh, going to the bathroom in the date's apartment, and takes them off and can't get them back on. Makes a paste out of baby powder and lotion, has to call Joey, walks out of the apartment with a door over his... Anyway, that's, that's the frame of mind that I'm in as I'm up here to preach God's Word. So, you know, could be a fun morning. Um, but as we... As we get a little more serious and think about what resolutions are about, why we do them, um, I think really it's about purpose. It's about having a purpose. It's about um, setting goals so that we are, we are striving towards something. And really, if we think big picture, resolutions are a small way that we can sort of focus in on what is our, is our entire purpose of our entire lives. What is your purpose? Why do you exist why do you get up every morning? And then another question to think about is, how do you determine that? Do you determine, is, is it up to you? Do you feel like it is your right, your privilege, to determine what your own purpose is in life? And if we're honest, at least if I'm being honest, when I'm in the, that kind of mood or zone of, of feeling as though I'm the one that's determining my purpose, uh, I start to feel a little bit lost. I don't know if you've ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the second one, where Jack Sparrow's got this compass, and everybody's kind of making fun of it, like, oh, you've got a compass that doesn't point north, ha, ha, ha. You know, but really what you come to find out is that his compass actually points to whatever he wants most in the world, which is kind of a cool thing, except for when you see it in this movie, it's like spinning all over the place because he doesn't know what he wants. And he ends up running, and he's afraid, and he's anxious all the time, and he's, he's, uh, he's afraid of the beastie, you know, and he ends up on an island with cannibals, and they're trying to cook him. Hey, you never know what can happen when you're afraid and anxious, right? But not that that's going to happen to us, but the point is that when we feel like we are the, uh, the captain of our own soul, like a, a, the poem or the movie Invictus says, that, that sounds really nice, except for when you don't know what you want, except for when you don't know what your purpose should be. Then it's a little scary. Then that's when fear and anxiety starts to come in and we feel lost. So as we, are, we look at uh, Matthew chapter 4 today, that's going to be our text, I want us to be open to the idea that it, really we should be looking to God for our purpose, that really we should be looking to, to God, not just for our purpose, but even for our our identity, who we are at our core, that should be determined by him, not by us. And that 
when we let him determine our identity, when we let him determine our purpose, when, th- then we get God himself. And as a byproduct of knowing God and being with God, we get real and lasting joy and contentment. So let's read our text. It's Matthew 4, uh, 17 through 22. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now by walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So just to give a little context here, Jesus is beginning what's called his public ministry. He's probably about 30 years old. He's just come out of the wilderness where, where Satan tempted him with the three temptations, and he, he defeated Satan with Scripture at each point. Um, and then he moves up to this place called Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. Pastor Frank was just there like two months ago. Um, and just to give you a, an idea, this is not a, like a, a destination location, right? This is not like move to sunny Tampa or move to sunny Miami. It's, this is like move to sunny Afghanistan or something like that, okay? This is, this is a place where people have been oppressed for hundreds of years. This is a place where the Assyrians and the Greeks and the Romans had moved through and just absolutely devastated the land of its people and of its power. <clears throat> so it was an oppressed place. It was also a spiritually dark place. You know, one of the key things that Jesus came and did in his public ministry was casting out demons. And we have lots of stories of specific uh, encounters where he cast demons out of people. But we also have verses that say things like, and he cast out many more demons from many people. So we really don't know how many demons he cast out while he was walking on this earth. Could have been hundreds or thousands. And when you think about that many people being demon-possessed in this small of a region, that is a spiritually dark place. And the reality is that this was a place where Satan, before Christ came, Satan was reigning free. Satan had a great deal of control and power and influence over this area. And when Christ came on the scene, and he comes and he says in verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's coming as an, as an emperor comes and says, this was, my, this was somebody else's land, now this is my land. This was somebody else's people, now this is my people. He's coming and making a military declaration, saying, I am the king, things are going to be different around here now, switch your allegiance. Switch your allegiance to me. And what he's truly saying, if you think about to the individual, as he speaks to our hearts, he's saying, you turn aside, turn away from the, the darkness, the spiritual darkness that is in your own heart. Run and hide behind me. Run and hide behind the king. And when you run and hide behind the king, you turn away from your sin and you turn to Jesus. You find that your life has changed. We can't, we can't meet Jesus without our life being changed. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you 
Come and hide behind me. And I think the first thing he shows us is that he will give us a new identity. That's, that's the first point that we're going to look at today. As you think about what your identity is, I would say it's you, who you are at your core. I would say it's, the, it's like the most important truth about you. What is, if, you were ha- if you had to boil it down to one thing, what is the most important true thing about who you are? And that's what we mean by identity here. <clears throat> if you think about the identities of these fishermen that Jesus calls, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they were not the upper crust of Galilean society. I mean, just by virtue of being fishermen, they were poor. They were lowly, okay? Um, they may have been dropouts. You know, one of the, the highest goals of a young man at this time would be to go to rabbinical school and follow a rabbi. So you would, I mean, it's, it's kind of like college football recruiting a little bit. Like, you would go and you would ask this rabbi, you say, hey, can I follow you around? Can I walk with you, go where you go, do whatever you do, watch you, learn from you? And then, you know, the five-star rabbi would take the five-star recruits. The, the Nick Saban of the rabbis would take all the five-star recruits, and they'd go and play at Alabama and score 31 points in the first half, like it's no big deal, right? And I'm getting away from myself here. But then on down, the four, the three, the two-star recruits, they would go to the lower rabbis, and then you get down to these guys, and they are zero-star recruits. No one wants them. No one cares about their little recruiting videos that they send out because they're not that special, okay? These are spiritual, at least in the eyes of the, of the time, in the eyes of the people there, these are spiritual nobodies. So that probably has a lot to do with what their identity is. I'm, I'm just a lowly fisherman. I'm living catch to catch, paycheck to paycheck. I don't have much hope. So then how amazing is it that Jesus, this, this new rabbi, this, this guy who speaks with incredible authority, as as they say in the scriptures. He comes and he says, you follow me. It's not not like the traditional rabbinical school where they say, hey, can I follow you? No, he says, you come follow me. He's saying, I'm going to give you a new identity. You are going to be my disciple. You are going to be someone who learns from me and learns what I do and how I do it. You are going to be a guy who follows me around and imitates me. That is their new identity. You're going to be disciples. That should be the most important truth about every Christian, that we imitate Christ, that we follow Christ, that we go as he goes and and do as he would have us do. That's what Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is saying. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the question here for all of us is, where are we getting our identity? Where does that come from? What is the most important truth about us this morning? Is it our work? Is it our wealth? Is it, you know, our athleticism? Is it, you know, sometimes um, I've met people who, they are the funny person. Their, their identity is wrapped up in that they can make people laugh. And that's kind of who they project that they are. 
Um, is it your parenting? Are you, is your identity wrapped up in the fact that your kids are really well-behaved and they, and they go to a good school or something? Uh, students, is your identity determined by your friends? Do you look to them for who you are? Is your identity determined by the fact that you're taking like 17 AP classes and you're about to try to get into Harvard or something like that? Are you, are you identifying as someone who achieves at a high level? Is that, that kind of thing where your identity is resting? Um, one of the things that we're seeing <clears throat> in society now is this thing, this idea called expressive individualism. And what that really is is just the idea that it is, it is up to every person to express who they are in, on the inside to the nth degree. Like, you need to go out there and let everybody know who you really are. And you need to pursue that as, as far as you can. Uh, there's a guy named Yuval Levin, and he wrote a book called The Fractured Republic. And in talking about expressive individualism, he says that it is the capacity of individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities. That's a, if I really stop and think about that, that is a crazy statement. Define your own existence by defining your own personal identities. I, I am not responsible enough to do that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I do not have what it takes to define my own existence to define my own reality. You know why? Because I'm probably going to be dead in like 50 years. I'm very finite. <laughs> my life is a vapor. I don't have the power to define my own existence. That has got to come from somewhere else. And, and the reason I know that is because, look, there are a lot of days where the, there, is, there is doubt inside of me that I don't even know why it's there. It shouldn't be there because of what I know from the Scriptures, but it's there I doubt there are days when, when I look at my feelings and I really start to kind of be more in touch with my feelings, where my feelings are saying, you're a horrible person. You don't, you're probably not a Christian. Sometimes I feel that. Is that true of me because I feel that that certain day? I hope not. That's why I need somebody outside of me to tell me who I am. And I'm not talking about a friend. I'm not talking about even my wife. I'm talking about Jesus I need Jesus to tell me who I am. I need him to say, this is what he says in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The world out there, the, even the world in here, our inner selves, causes us trouble. Does it not? Does it not cause you trouble? causes me trouble. And Jesus says he has overcome that. How has he done that? Well, Scripture says that he created us in his own image, first and foremost. Every single person in this room, every single person you meet out there, God created on purpose, specifically that way. And, it, and, and you are no mistake. I am no mistake. We are loved just because we're created in his image. But beyond that, even though we have failed, even though we have sinned, Jesus came and succeeded at everything he could possibly succeed at. Every way that we have failed, Jesus is, is a success. And then he died on the cross as a sacrifice for us to take our place. I deserved 
to be on a cross for my sin. Jesus went up there for me. And he rose again victorious over Satan, victorious over sin, victorious over death. He's given us his Holy Spirit to be our comforter, to be our counselor, to to walk with us each and every day. Jesus himself rules over the universe right now. He is sitting on a throne ruling over your day, over my day, over the entire world. Every star, every planet. And he says he's going to return and when he does, he's going to bring heaven with him, that we will, we will be with him and he will make all things new. If our identity is in Christ, these are things that are true about us too. We have his righteousness, we have his success, we have his wisdom, we have his love, we have his church, we have his word, we have the hope of his promises, which he always keeps, always fulfills. And he says, all things will work for our good. That's what we have if, we are, if our identity is in Christ. He cannot fail us. He will not fail us. Is that the most, intru- the most important truth about you? Is that the most important truth about me? Jesus is saying, let, that me, let me define your identity. Let me tell you who you are, because I'm never wrong. And I will shape the way you work. I will shape the way you play. I will shape the way you interact with people. I will shape the way you parent. I will shape your calendar. He says, I want to shape your week. I want to shape your day. I want to shape your month and your year. I want to shape all those things. I want you to define your calendar by me. He's saying, I want to define your generosity. He says, I tell you in the Bible, I want you to give 10%. Why? Because I want you to define your wealth and your, and your generosity not by how you determine it, but by how I determine it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, trust me with this. Trust me with your very identity, with the, very, the, the most true things about yourself. He's saying, when we do this, he gives us a big purpose too. He gives us great purpose. This is the second point, is that we need to get our purpose from Jesus. In verse 19, he goes to these guys and he, he, he tells them something very strange and kind of out there. He says, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fish for people. These guys who are fishermen are probably like, we're going to cast some nets and drag some people in? That's odd. Never, never done that before. But okay, Jesus, I'll trust you. But what's, what's he getting at? Well, two things. Um, I think he's saying he wants us to go and tell others about him, but also that he wants, to depend, he wants us to depend on him as we do. And so I, um, I don't know if you grew up fishing or if you're an avid fisherman, but I did not grow up fishing. I have very limited experience with it. I went a couple times as a kid with my uncle, and like my main memory of fishing as a kid was that I thought I caught a fish, but really I caught a tree. Like, you know, I'm, I'm casting, and, and before I actually cast the line out into the water, it gets stuck in a branch back here. You know, and I'm like, I got a big one. And my uncle's like, nope, you got a branch. So, so that's my fishing expertise. I'm sure you'll be calling me up to go with you next time. But uh, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law are avid anglers. They know what they're doing. They're out on the water all the time. And um, they have a plan. Before they ever go out, they know what they're going to fish for. They know where to look. They know what bait to use. They are like out on the water and they're like, I see the fish. And I'm like, I don't see the fish. How do you see the fish? I'm like, okay, I trust you. 
I guess they're there, but they can tell by the bubbles. I don't know. So this is the whole point of this. And Jesus saying, I'm going to make you fish for people. Is, is that as, as Christians, I mean, th- this is our purpose, but we're not. Our purpose is not for, for every individual Christian to go everywhere and reach every other person. Does that make sense? Like, he wants us to have a specific people in mind, I think. So, to use a Christian easy term, who are you burdened to reach for Christ? Is there a certain people group? Just an example of this, I have some, some friends from seminary who are missionaries now, and one is a missionary to Japan, uh, one to Taiwan, and one to India, and each one of those people, each one of those guys felt incredibly burdened to go to those places, to those people specifically. God put that in their heart as a purpose. Um, I was at a Bible study a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the guys, Trip Higginbotham, was saying, I feel burdened to go tell kids in the inner city that Jesus can be their identity, that Jesus can be their Savior. They don't need to look to uh, pleasure or riches or whatever they're looking to for their identity. They can, they can have Jesus, and they can have everything in him. He is burdened by that. He, he's like, I want to start a ministry or something. So just what, what is going on in your heart that's kind of like that? Or what has, or who has God put in your path? Maybe it's he's just put you in a house on a certain street, and you feel burdened to share Christ with the people on your street, in your neighborhood. Maybe he's put you at a certain uh, office or workplace to share Christ with those people. Maybe he's put you at a certain school to share Christ with kids there. Wherever you are, wherever you feel God has called you to go, you as a Christian, I as a Christian, we are meant to fish for people. That is a primary purpose that God has given us. And as we do that, we also need to know what bait to use. And that sounds kind of crass, but really the point is that we need to know what we're going to say to people. We need to have a plan for how we're going to communicate with them. Do you think that you could share the gospel with somebody enough to, to give them an idea of what you're talking about in 30 seconds, if that's all you had? What about two minutes or three minutes? If that's the only time you have with them, you're in an elevator, you've got just this brief amount of time, do you feel confident that you could tell them the story of Christ in that small window of time? Be, be ready. Be prepared for that. And also, be prepared to speak in a certain way. Like, it matters how we talk. Okay, Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, we don't naturally in this society speak the language of grace. Most people, if you talk to them, they, they feel like, yeah, you, you get what you deserve. Isn't that true? Like, that's how people tend to think. But the gospel teaches us that Jesus comes and he gives us what we don't deserve, that he gives us salvation. I mean, think about this way. You know, we're in a world where everything you do is pretty much recorded. I mean, y'all know Alexa is in your house recording everything you're saying, right? Like, that's, that's happening. And we, we have all of our stuff that we put on social media, it's just there for people to, to, to read, and find something wrong with it. And it, 
people will use it to condemn us. Everything is recorded. There, there is somewhere out there, probably, some kind of record of wrong of, of me, right? But the gospel is that Jesus, not only does he not keep a record of our wrongs, he comes and he straight up erases our record of wrong. That is the gospel. And people don't know that. People are shocked when they hear that idea that this, this Savior guy wants to come and just be gracious to us. I mean, don't, in, in our conversations, how can we shine a spotlight on the grace of Jesus Christ? How can we stop people in their tracks with this rare and strange idea that there is a God who is gracious to us, even though we have a record of wrong? And he just wants, to, he wants us to come to him and find that that record is erased. Well, one final thing with this, this uh, fishing metaphor. You know, it communicates dependence. If you've ever been fishing, um, you know that you can have all the right equipment, you can have all the right knowledge, you can have the right bait, you can be in the right spot, but if the fish don't bite, you're going to get nothing. I obviously have been fishing a few times, and most of the time I catch nothing, so I know this. But, and the disciples knew this too. There is a, uh, a story in John 21, after Jesus is risen from the dead, where Peter's out on the boat fishing. He casts his net in and pulls it back, and there's nothing. And Jesus is on the shore, and he says, hey, here's an idea. Cast your, boat on the right, or cast your net on the right side of the boat. So he does it. He can't pull it in. It's so full of fish. And the point is this. Jesus controls the catch. It is, it is our job to to go and be faithful. It is our job to go and share the good news. It is our job to tell others about Jesus, but it is not our job to change hearts. That is not something that we can do. It is not our job to get results. It is our job to be faithful. And so I think, you know, to, to know that, to understand that, that, that God doesn't call us to catch people, but to fish for people, it really takes the pressure off. If you're thinking about sharing your faith and there's some measure of anxiety there, the pressure is off. Yes, there is risk because people might respond negatively. You might feel rejected or ridiculed for what you're saying. Not everybody's going to listen. But the pressure is off because we're just called to fish. So Christ stands ready to give us a true identity in him. He stands ready to give us real purpose and true meaning in life. But again, is the risk worth it? Jesus says this is costly. He says, you will, if you follow me, abandon your sin. You will sometimes have to abandon your plans. You, you will even abandon your very self or, or who you think you are, at least, because I will give you a new self. I will give you a new I'll make you a new creation. Jesus says to count the costs. Is it worth the risk? Yes, absolutely. Because he also says that he'll be our security. That's our third and final point. We need to find our security in Jesus. A couple of details to illustrate this. One is that Matthew is really careful to say that when these, these disciples met Jesus and he said, follow me, they didn't wait. They did it immediately. They uh, the first set of guys just dropped their nets and followed him. The second set of guys, they, they dropped their nets and they left their father. Poor Zebedee. 
and they followed him immediately. It wasn't, hey, let me, uh, let me pack up my equipment and put it away nicely. They just left. It wasn't, let me try to sell my business because I might get some money out of this and we could use this for the road, right? No, they just left. It wasn't even, let me talk with my father about this and make sure he thinks this is okay and that we're not putting him in a bind. No, they just left. Zebedee's sitting there in the boat by himself with the nets that weren't even fixed. Jesus says, drop everything and follow me because I want to be your security. They did not find in in their jobs and in their families, they maybe found a little security, but they didn't find the kind of security that Jesus offers, which is eternal security. Another important detail here is that when Jesus says, follow me, he didn't say where they're going to go. He just said, come on, let's go. It's like uh, Abraham in Genesis 12. God appears to this guy in the land of Ur, and he's a 75-year-old guy. Got a wife, no kids, got a lot of animals, probably. And uh, he says, God says, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. Not, no destination given, just, just go. I'll show you where we're going to go once you get there. Sounds a little scary, uh, but Abraham does it. He follows God. He, he, I mean, but can you imagine the, the uncertainty? Can you imagine like him and his wife, Sarai, talking on the way like, hey, where are we going? Where's this God guy leading us? I don't know. Maybe could be leading us to Mordor for all I know. But this is, this is a ton of uncertainty. Again, what we see here is that Jesus wants to be our ultimate security. He wants, he wants us to trust him with our future. Yes, we should plan for the future. We should plan for you know, next month, next year, five years. But the scary truth is that we really don't know what we're going to be doing tomorrow. We really don't know what we're going to be doing, especially at the end of 2019. But Jesus knows that. And, and if we find our identity in Christ, and if we find our purpose is defined by Christ, then, then we can trust him enough to follow him whether we know what's going to happen next or not. And I think that's the whole point of this. As long as we're with Jesus, we're secure. As long as we go with him, we are free to just live our lives at his disposal. And there is no greater joy than that. that is, that's the thing I keep coming back to with this text, is that are we free enough? Do we feel like we are free enough to live our lives at Jesus' disposal, to just say, yeah, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. This was um, sort of part of my story in 2018. I had applied to this job as the assistant pastor and at the end of 2017, and uh, I had felt kind of pulled away from youth ministry, which I've been doing for a long time, um, too many lock-ins probably. And, uh, but then Pastor Frank called, and I was talking to him and started to feel like, okay, they're actually kind of considering me for this. I was so nervous. Like, I was so, just felt so uncertain because the reality is that I was very comfortable where I was. I had a great job. I'd been there for 10 years. I knew everybody in the church. I was an associate pastor on the session. If you don't know what that means, I can give you the book of church order, and it's a lot of fun to read that. Um, 
there, there was so much comfort and certainty there, and I was looking at potentially a lot of uncertainty and, and not necessarily comfort coming here. I just didn't know what would happen. I could move here, move my whole family here, and it could absolutely fail miserably. But throughout that whole process, God showed me, and again, I, I am not saying anything about me here. I'm saying God showed me. He said, I just want you to find your security in me. I want to be your comfort. He often, I'm finding, he often wants us to trade comfort for uncertainty so that in the uncertainty, we find him to be our greatest comfort. And that's what he's shown me this past year. He is, he is so good because this has been an amazing year for us. We love you. We love this church. We love this place. We love being here. I love my job. It has been a wonderful move. But even if it had not been a wonderful move, and even if it still fails, I, I feel like we have gone with God. He has led us, and we are with him, and he is all we need. And so here's, real quick, as we wrap up, just want to ask you this. As, uh, there's a Sinclair Ferguson quote we're going to pull up. Do you know the joy and freedom of living a life where your highest ambition is to belong to Jesus at his disposal? That's your highest ambition. That's your purpose. There is not a, a, a purpose out there or an identity out there or a mission out there that can give you more freedom and joy than, than he can. The, the first disciples eventually came to see that. If you read the book of Acts, you see a group of guys who are ready to die for Jesus, who are secure in him, who are free, who find their joy in him. Do you know that freedom? Do you know that joy? Maybe right now you feel a bit like Captain Jack Sparrow. Your compass is spinning. You don't know what you want. Maybe you feel uncertain. Maybe you feel fearful. Maybe you feel anxious as you look into the coming year. But Jesus is saying, I want your, I want your compass, and I want to point it towards me all the time, no matter where you are. He's saying, look at your plans. Look at your purposes. Look at who you are, your identity, the most true thing about you. Maybe right now these are good things. But are they things that you're defining or will you let me define them for you? Will you let me shape your life? And I think we, we can look to him and we can say, Jesus, I am all yours. I will go wherever you lead me as long as you are with me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that um, even as we look ahead to a new year, uh, that you are already there, that you are the God of, of past, present, and future that you know what's coming, that you know um, the plans that you have for us. And I pray, God, that as we think about a new year and think about all that we are planning, that our plans would be uh, shaped by what you want for us, that our very identities will be determined by who you say we are. And I pray that you would help us to, um, to walk by the Spirit, to, to love well, uh, to come to know you better in 2019, that we might glorify you with our lives, that, that our purposes might be 
uh, in line with, with what you would have us do. Uh, we praise you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.